Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. I'm so glad to have Sofia Falk here. Sofia is the founder and creative director at We Are The Story Doers that demonstrates how diversity and inclusion matters for a business's bottom line. She has been highly recognized for her work on diversity and business management and has taken the limelight on many stages where she has shared her process and her experiences. She's an organizational hacker that sees the corporate world as her playground. So welcome, Sophia. Thank you. How is it to be an organizational hacker? Well, it's amazing, of course, when you do create change. It's frustrating when nothing happens. And it's frustrating when people see that your work is, you know, a, how can I call it, a, a show inspiration. But most of the time, it's really, really fantastic to see people get their ahas to go from words to action and actually trigger new ways of acting. So we get more diversity and inclusive culture. How many companies on average are more on the stage of, you know, beautiful policies, but no real action, no follow up, no tracking? Well, today I can say that none is doing it for show. Everyone is doing it for a business reason. But when I started my company in 2008, it was more like, you know, come and inspire us. We have to do this check in a box activity. And they didn't know what they signed up for. So it was more hurtful then because I, I stand for change. But today uh, the companies do call me because they see that their homogeneity is affecting their business bottom line and they want to change. They want to do something about it. Mm. But how is that possible to track? I mean, how do you measure success in this uh, diversity integration work? Well, it's a fluffy topic. Well, it's not a fluffy topic for me, but the companies and the corporate world still sees it as a quite fluffy topic and, and it's hard to measure. But I focus on see, okay, does change happen? And if I can conduct a workshop for three hours where I raise their awareness around the topic and the output from the workshop is actually three to five new actions that they are going to implement short term, then things are happening. So based on activity measurement, I can track change. If we let's let's define actually uh, diversity, you know, mm -hmm. what is it? Because, I mean, obviously people are, you know, connecting to gender or nationality and stuff like yeah. that. But there's so much more, of course. Yeah, there's so much more. And that's what I preach, uh, basically, because also if we backtrack and see the history of diversity and inclusion in a corporate setting, companies are used to work with diversity and inclusion as a compliance issue. It's laws and regulations, it's discrimination policies, it's, you know, check in the box activities, it's networks, it's leadership programs for underrepresented groups, and they try to fix the people. But when you see what diversity is really all about, that you have to mirror your customers. If they are diverse and see the world in different views, you have to do the same as a company in order to innovate, in order to be creative, in order to be where the market wants you to be. 
It's about talent. It's about winning the award for talent. And you have to define what talent is today. And you have to search for the talent in the right places. And the last thing that it is about high-performing teams. You have to have as many perspectives, know-how, ideas, skills, traits, educational background as you can. So diversity is not so much about labels. That is gender, ethnicity, nationality. It's everything underneath that we don't see. The perspectives I add, the uh, the way I make decisions, the experiences I have, the uh, know-how I bring to the table. So diversity is basically everything we are as a human. Sometimes I'm uh, fascinated by you know this thought about you know what if people are just themselves and they can work in the role of you know as they are. So yeah. to say there is no need to have any kind of. Uh, filter. surface, filter, yeah. anything, any role play or so. Yeah. They're just themselves in a professional ambiance. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess and I hope that we are heading this way more and more. But it's kind of a liberating uh, you know, feeling just to think about it. Yeah. And um, in some companies, at least in the US, they are very good at actually sometimes asking every employee in their company in mm. a very structured way, you know, what is it that they are really passionate about? Yeah. What do they like? I mean, even... What are their you know, driving forces? Exactly, all yeah. of these things, so that they have some kind of a blueprint mm. of each person mm. for the reason of, you know, having a win-win in the sense that you match their talents and interests and so on. Yeah. But you also discover more of the person. Yeah. And then eventually the colleagues among themselves, by doing this, yeah. they discover other aspects of their colleagues and they... Um, you know, often tend to kind of become friends. And there are interesting dynamics happening when when you can... Yeah, of... and, and that's why if you work with diversity, you also in the meantime have to work with inclusion because human capital as is today, I mean, every company consists of people. It do consist of processes and routines and measurement and KPIs, and that's all good. But people stands behind everything that exists in a company. And human capital isn't something, it isn't something that, you know, depreciate in value over time. It's something that can grow over time if you know how to unleash everyone's unique potential. So, and I mean, if you have, if you have employees and they're performing on 60 or 70% of the true potential, I mean, you're wasting money, you're wasting time. So in order to tap into the full potential, you have to have diversity and you have to have inclusion. So you bring those skills, perspectives, and know-how into your business over mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. How do you go about inspiring and teaching these companies and what they should do? What's the kind of toolbox you come with? Well, the toolbox is pretty simple. At first, it's that you cannot have a top-down strategy that you implement because you have to make this real in the everyday culture. So the best experts you can use in seeing, okay, what does diversity and inclusion mean for our business in the unit where I operate? And where are we good at taking advantage of diverse inclusion? And where do we miss out? And in the case we miss out, what would be the solution that will fit our culture in our unit? Mm -hmm. So the employees at the companies are our tool. So we give them tools to scrutinize their own culture, their own ways of acting, and we inspire them with with new ideas so they create their own solutions. So that's basically our tool. A hacking tool, right? Hacking tool, (laughs) yeah. So basically what we do about it's um, three steps. The first thing is to increase their awareness and knowledge around the topic where we talk about diversity and inclusion from a business setting where we go from compliance issues and an HR topic to operative effect. 
And the second part is that they have to do understand that we all have a brain and our brain is biased. That is, we have one-sided, uh, lacking a natural viewpoint in everything we do, in everything we see, in everything we don't see. So we have to understand that our brains is actually working against diversity and inclusion because the brain enjoys a good stereotype. And that's totally dangerous if you're looking on people because we do make suboptimal decisions around people. When they understand that, we give them the tools to scrutinize their people processes, the way they recruit, the way they set up teams, the way they give airtime to everyone in the room, the way they you know, educate, the way they develop people, everything that concerns unleashing and tapping into the talent potential of the employees. And they do see, oops, here we let bias interfere decision-making. We have to minimize the effect of bias or at least delay it in the process. So we help them to see where that is and they spot the elements in a crucial people process which they then redesign so they contain or minimize the effect of bias. And then they have the new solutions, which is really easy, applicable stuff. It could be things like the criteria for a job advertisement. Why do we have these criteria? Why do we have this wording? Why do we use these semantics? Why do we use these pictures when we search for people? Why do we go out and search for talent in these schools? What are we missing out? Or when we set up teams or when we... Um, invite people to participate in our strategic leadership programs. When we nominate people, what do we do then? Well, same people, nominate the same people, and we'll get the same people. So they, we help them to spot that and then redesign it. And boards also, I think it's amazing that it's like, yeah, you know, same people yeah. everywhere. Yeah. But uh, especially women, I mean, yeah. which you, everybody's talking about improving yeah. that yeah. quota, right? Mm. But still, it's always the same type of women. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, you know, even if they're, of course, extremely yeah. professional and able, it's, same, it's same. still the same. Yeah. But I guess that you have one of the most interesting jobs <laughs> out there. I yeah, mean. it's interesting. And, and also you can see on the market that the, as, as, uh, the first question is like, is it a, is this a nice topic? Is it nice to have project? No, it's a need to have project. And we see that in terms of mm. the demand from the large heavy customers, the heavy industrials that are seeing that we really need to change. Mm. And that's a, a paradigm shift, I think. And you can see the same. I think companies have um, tackled, di uh, not diversity, but sustainability from an environmental issue in the same way that they are now approaching diversity and inclusion. So it's really a top management topic, which they need to address. So who is typically contacting you for, <laughs> from a company? Is it like CEO or? CEO or HR director. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question for you, which is actually, what is your passion and what are your dreams? And I guess it's very likely it's going to be connected to diversity and so on. Yeah. But or? Yeah. Well, my passion is, is really about uh, bringing awareness to help people to change, to be kind to one another and to reach out to one another in a more objective way. Uh, take away the stereotypes and the prejudices and the preconceptions we all have around people uh, because it makes life more richer, it's more colorful and it's, it's more fun. And what do you think uh, when you look back, you know, what kind of turning points uh, in your life have influenced you the most? Well, I have a background from the intelligence unit in the Swedish Armed Forces. So that was kind of a 
big aha for me. I was studying political science in uh, University of Uppsala here in Sweden, and I was studying uh, regression analysis and statistics and stuff, and that was not my cup of tea. So one day I sat a little bit longer, uh, taking a coffee, and was chit-chatting with a girl, and she said, you know, Sophia, that you can come become an undercover agent. And I was like, what? Can I become that? <laughs> I want to become a G.I. Jane. And she told me that I had to apply to the military service. So I entered the military service in the intelligence and interpreter school in Sweden, one of the hardest uh, schools to get into. And we were three women in a group of 60. So the rest was men. And when I started there, I thought that I had the same prerequisite to perform and to be myself and to reach my full potential. But that was not true because the, uh, the norms and the traits that I was measured upon was not made for me. So when I came in as top 10 out of 60 on a half marathon with 15 kilos on my body and a gun in my hands, they said, oh, you're such a lucky girl. And I was like, luck? <laughs> I've been running freaking 21 kilometers here. It's kind of a hard job. And they continued to have this excuses when I did perform or outperform them. And then all of a sudden I was, uh, I was participating in an education made by the uh, armed forces and they were introducing suppression oppression techniques and also what happens when you are a very small minority in a group of heavy majority. And I understood that this is not about me, this is about group dynamics. And that was, you know, the first big aha. The other big aha was when I continued my work as an intelligence officer in Kosovo, in Pristina. And the intelligence unit's whole ambition was to get as much intelligence from the local people as possible. But the Swedish military couldn't reach out to the Muslim women, but I could, because they related to me. They explained things to me that they wouldn't explain to a man. So obviously, by having my perspectives and my presence in the group, in the team, we got more intelligence than before. So they were starting to talk about operative effects. And that was amazing. The third aha was when I quit the military and I entered the private sector as a risk and crisis management consultant. And then I was 24 years old. And uh, my whole task was to conduct tabletop exercises with management teams in the large heavy industrials in Sweden. So it all went good when I had my male colleagues with me, but one day I was there alone to conduct the tabletop exercise. And after a couple of minutes, I was setting up the computer. I had this man at the back, he was raising his hand and he, he was like, okay, so miss, when is the consultant coming? And I was like, well, that's me. <laughs> and his answer to that was like, no, 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 you can't possibly know anything about risk and crisis management. And I was like, well, you know, I have this background, I've been there, I've been around, I know this, I know that. And he couldn't believe it because how I looked and how I acted was not normal in that setting. So those three ahas, like performance couldn't look like me, but they did talk about operative effects. And then I entered the private sector and they were not talking about operative effects. I saw that these profit maximizing companies are really losing, wasting potential in terms of not tapping into women. And then I got fucking angry and I started my own company. So it was, it was a great experience. 
Did you do that conference that you or the management? Yeah, I did, uh, but it was hard work. You know, nobody laughed at my jokes, or you know, it was hard <laughs> to get around. It was hard to conduct the exercises, but but I'm glad it happened. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. And without that frustration, I wouldn't have started my own company, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't be the corporate hacker that I am today, having How? hacked 50, 60 global corporates since then. And uh, how many of those companies are based, you know, outside of Stockholm? Is it many of those? Well, it's basically global Swedish corporations. So they operate in more than 100 markets all around the globe. Mm -hmm. So the headquarters are here in Stockholm or in Sweden, but we do work with them all around the world. Mm -hmm. And now since two years back, we're working with other companies that are not Swedish-based headquarters. Do you have any like dream uh, companies or, or organizations that you would like to? Yeah, I was work actually with? interviewed by the Handelsblatt, the German uh, business magazine, and, and she asked the same question. And I mm -hmm. said, well, Volkswagen is one of my dream customers because it's one of the largest heavy industrials in the world. It has a culture that is very homogeneous. And I don't think that if they had diversity in place, they wouldn't have had the diesel gate. So to transform that organization, if I can do that, I can do anything. What do you think is the long-term solution for a business? What do you believe in? Well, of course, diversity, heterogeneity, but also I see that we built, I mean, we are human and we have built heavy organizations with a lot of structures, a lot of hierarchies, a lot of processes, routines, KPIs, and that doesn't fit the human nature. So I, what I see and I also see and we see on the market is that we move from these heavy, heavy conglomerates to smaller units with a narrower focus where they also add the, the heart into it. So every business has to have a higher purpose, but they also have to be even more focused. So I see that trend and I also see we have to have a, a innovation space where everybody can reach a full potential because otherwise you will be out of business soon. People won't apply to your, <laughs> to your company, basically. And do you think this is valid for uh, people even you know, above 30 or, or is it mainly uh, the younger generation? No, I think it goes for everyone. Mm. I mean, we're talking about generations, but generations are the same, you know? I mean, it's, it's human basic need to fit in, to be a part of the group, to be seen, to be heard. I mean, that's, that's nature, right? Mm -hmm. But in these large organizations, people, they, you don't see them. You, they're hidden behind the structures and the KPIs. And I think that's so bad. We have to change that. I actually think it's amazing we are in 2017 and mm. we are discussing the need of, you know, for people to feel significant, to mm. contribute, to uh, the need for certainty, but also yeah. uncertainty yeah. and so on. All these kind of human basic needs and so on. And, yeah. and we haven't built it into our structure, into mm. our uh, systems, let's mm. say, because every company is like a system. Every yeah. family is a system. Every, yeah. But I think that's uh, kind of intriguing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, wh like, where's the wake-up call? How come yeah. we haven't developed in this aspect as companies? But I think we have to remind ourselves uh, of the history as well. I mean, and the organization of today, they are constructed by the military structure. 
because, I mean, they were constructed over 100 years ago and then the world looked different. And the thing is that the change is actually moving faster today, but the organizations haven't had the time to update themselves. Do you have a company that you admire where you have seen uh, that they have really a very clear purpose? Yeah, and it's, of course, one of my clients, uh, <laughs> but I wouldn't have worked with them if it didn't have the purpose. And it's the Axel Johnson Group. Mm. So they're in uh, consumer-based industry, consumer products, because they, they have seen that companies need and can be the game changers of today. And they have seen that politics is lagging behind when it comes to tapping into the diversity we do have in Sweden today. And as from their business perspective, they saw that, okay, so we have at least one-fifth of Swedes are not born in Sweden or have parents not born in Sweden. And we have 50% women and we are diverse. Uh, but when they looked on their management level, where they set the agenda, where they make the decisions, where they develop the product, their services, they saw that we are so homogeneous that we miss out. We have to mirror the society. And by doing that, they have not only becoming a front runner in how the companies can become a game changers when driving diversity and inclusion, but they have also increased their market shares. Uh, the products and the services you see in their stores are much more diverse. The people you get served by when you enter their um, shops are very diverse. So I think they are really a role model within the private business. How do they express the purpose, you know, in a simple way and with a couple of words? They say that they have to mirror the society mm. because they are here for the society. Mm. Wow. If we assume that all doors you know, are open and you have all resources available, what would you innovate or change? The school. So, and that's actually my next product. I don't know where I will have the time since I'm having my third child now very soon. But, I mean, working with these large, heavy industrials is amazing because we do create change, me and my consultants. But it's, it's more like, I don't know if, if, if we have the word in English, basically like hospice. Like you're about to die and you can, you know, have, make it easier <laughs> the last years or the last time. And that's why I experience sometimes. Like I, I do help, but it's like they're not going to exist in this way in 10 or 15 years. Where we need to start, it's to create people, citizens that are good, that are not having these prejudices, that are integrating with each other, uh, socioeconomic classes, you know, color of skin, different genders, different perspectives. Uh, we have to create those schools. And we also have to tap into the young potential that we have because we are told that you know, when you have accomplished this or in 10 years you can do this. I think we are uh, minimizing the possibilities for a person to reach their true potential. So I think the school, we need to make that better. We need to make that better and that we create good citizens. The previous uh, CEO and chairman of HCL, mm -hmm. he is making uh, fantastic progress with the special huge project actually of his just to transform uh, rebuild education in India mm -hmm. and uh, it just took one state actually and, yeah. and is, is, is really implementing uh, more or less the same philosophy that he was using in, in the business, yeah. in the company, yeah. he's using in education yeah. uh, and his vision uh, is really to see that each 
kid going to school have a big smile on their face. Yeah. Going in and going out. Yes. And that's really a, a clear vision, I would say. And he's very uh, successful, so that's yeah. something that uh, yeah. you could look into. Yeah. But if you could give one piece of advice to leaders, what would it be? I would say that don't take it too serious. <laughs> I think that a, being a leader is not a role, it's a personality. So I think you should be, I mean, we're talking about being authentic, but I really mean it's, you have to be you, you have to make it your way. And you have to be curious about people. You have to believe in people and not think that they're stupid. And I think a lot of the leadership that I see today is overstructured, overprepared, and very rigid. I think we have to be more flexible. And why do you think it has become like that, that people are so structured and rigid uh, normally? It's, it's because, you know, uh, social conformity. Mm. <laughs> it's about the basic needs again. And we're creating social norms, social cultures, where we define what's normal, what's not normal, what, what is the way, right way of acting, what is the wrong way of acting. And we're reproducing that and we're trying to fit in that type of role. And that role does not exist today. That's an old way of seeing a leadership because today you have the possibilities to choose, you have the possibilities to get access to information. So the society is completely different, but we have old leadership stereotype roles that are not enabling this, this growth or this unique potential. If you were to give advice to yourself 15 years ago or 10 years ago, pick, yeah. <laughs> what would you? Yeah, it's a hard question because I don't regret anything. <laughs> and every lesson is, is to be learned and to make something out of, right? But one thing that people told me and the people have told me since I was little is that I should listen to the more experienced. And my advice to myself is that don't take too much advice. Do as you like. And uh, I have done that the majority of the times. But when I have, you know, went on the wrong route or become unsecure is when I have listened too much to other people that says, this is impossible, I've tried it, or you shouldn't do that, or who do you think you are, or that's never going to, you know, happen. Don't listen to that, just mm. do it. Mm. A lot of people, and I think especially uh, many women, are suffering from this uh, syndrome, you know, I'm not good enough, mm -hmm. or, you know, this typical kind of behavior. And I hope that uh, we're going to see less of that, of course. But w what do you have to say to people who, who sometimes feel that? I think you have to fake it till you make it. And, I mean, I have a daughter, and, uh, and I, can, I have two choices. I can tell her what to do nothing going to happen. But if I show her how to behave, she will behave accordingly. So when I see myself in the mirror, for example, it's one exercise I do every day. And sometimes, you know, you dress yourself and it's like, oh God, this was the wrong clothes. I don't feel good. I see her standing next to me and I look into the mirror and I say, you're awesome. You look great. And even though I don't want to wear those clothes, I have to. And so I think that, you know, showing how to behave and then behave accordingly until you feel it that is right that's the way to go do you have any special routine you do before doing you know big workshops with lots of people where you have to give a lot of yourself energy and inspiration and so on something how do you prepare yourself 
I prepare myself by not preparing too much. Uh, because if I'm overprepared and overstructured, I will miss out. So I have to be prepared and structured, but not too much. Mm. That's my, um, that's my, <laughs> yeah, good recipe. Yeah. What do you think is the most important thing for companies to focus on right now, from a global perspective, if you like? Yeah. Well, people or human resources is the new black. I think you have to make HR the um, <laughs> the heroes that they are. You have to put HR in the executive management team. You have to give them money, resources, and credit. And you have to focus on unleashing and tapping into the full potential of your employees. Without that, they will not be here in business. What's the best way of building a strong culture? Well, I mean, we, we work with change, but we work with changing culture. So I see when it doesn't work and I see when it does work. And I think many companies are still focusing on analyzing and statistics and trying to see trends and, you know, problematizing and see where do we miss out instead of finding the ways that works, the great ways of acting, the great cultures, and to deliver those stories from the employees and spreading them in the organization within and externally. Because everybody loves heroes. Everybody loves a good story. We don't like, you know, oh, we missed out on this or we're so bad at this, which is a normal approach. Um, so I, I say focus on the thing that does work and then spread them. Good advice. <laughs> But if we lift ourselves even higher and say, okay, what do you think the world needs most at this time? Inclusion, less stereotypes, mixed groups, mixed perspectives, and be friendly, be mm. kind, mm. be open, be curious. Thank you very much, Sofia. Thank you. It's been wonderful and very valuable. And uh, congratulations for everything you've done so far. I mean, <laughs> Thank it's a you. Big, uh, big impact that you have directly and indirectly. So that's really fantastic. To find out more about Sofia and We Are The Story Doers, head to wearethestorydoers.com. Thank you very much for listening and until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao.